interesting topics to kick off your weekend. Looking at the news with an eye of faith. This is Friendly Fire with Stu Kearns on the Voice of Lincoln, 1499.3 KLIN. Good Saturday morning. It's a Friendly Fire Saturday. Stu Kearns, your host. Glad to have you along. It is, uh, we're entering, uh, we're on the cusp of Holy Week. Uh, tomorrow, Palm Sunday, and then there's going to be a whole lot of services coming up. And in fact, uh, for all the services I'm doing, my, my guess is that my guest today is probably doing five times as many services. <laughs> and thanks for coming in studio today, uh, Reverend Dr. Uh, Jim Keck. Oh, thank you for the doctor. Yeah, that's, that is that is Reverend Doctor. <laughs> it right? is, yes, it is. Yeah, that's right. Well, no, good to be with you, Stu. Yeah. You well, holding up? Holy Week's about here. Oh, boy. Yeah, no, it's, 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 this is the best, it's the, it's the high point of the year, right? Yeah. I mean, okay, we love Christmas. Christmas is great. The music is wonderful. But I, if I had to pick, I mean, I, I'm an Easter guy. And, and not just Easter, but Holy Week, right? Yeah. You know, Palm Sunday is the gateway into the Holy Week as yeah. we follow Jesus into Jerusalem mm-hmm. and, and then into Maundy Thursday and mm-hmm. where he gives the great commandment and Good Friday is suffering mm-hmm. death and Holy Saturday as we wait for that great miracle God will perform in Christ and, mm-hmm. and then Easter Sunday. Yeah, yeah. How many, okay, so between uh, all those events, how many, how many services are you going to be doing next week? Well, you know, post COVID, it's it's a little less. A little so less. so we'll have six on Palm Sunday, and mm-hmm. then a, a Monday Thursday evening service, mm-hmm. a Good Friday, um, uh, both a concert and worship experience. It's going to be kind of neat, mm-hmm. and then a Holy Saturday, um, and then only. F- I'm only doing six on Easter. How many are you doing on Easter? Only two. Okay. So, yeah. Well, no. As long so, as it's more than you, that's all. It's, yeah, that's, that's true. That's true. <laughs> the, uh, uh, no, there, and we only do the, you know, we've always, we never have doubled up on Good Friday. Um, mm-hmm. Enough people have things to do that we just end up doing the one service. But, uh, and we have never done a Monday, Thursday uh, uh, service. Oh, I think it's rich. What, uh, what describe briefly, by the way, folks, yeah. Jim and I are going to just run mm. all over the map on all kinds of things here. So we'll talk a little politics, a little COVID, a little, a little Easter Sunday, but, but, uh, this is kind of our world. And, yes, uh, it is. and uh, so what's, what's the, give me, give me the skinny on what, uh, what your Monday Thursday service is about. Yeah, Monday Thursday, that, that old English phrase meaning uh, commandment, Monday. Mm. And so it's on, it's on Holy Thursday that Jesus offers his great commandment, love one another as mm. I have loved you in, mm. in the gospel of John. Mm-hmm. So Monday Thursday is first and foremost, a reenactment of that um, last Supper. Now, in the Gospel of John, it's not actually the Last Supper. But it's when he's washing the disciples' feet. So there'll be mm-hmm. a symbolic washing, kind of a um, uh, a tableau of, of of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. There'll be a Holy Communion, but then it moves into what's called tenebrae, and that's Latin for shadows. So yes. after the Great Commandment is given. Um, and we share the Eucharist. Then it moves into candles being extinguished at each reading of the of the death and suffering of Jesus. So yes. you move, and as the readings are happening, candles are being extinguished, and the chancel is being stripped. So mm-hmm. people start picking up all the items that are on the chancel: candles, crosses, um, mm-hmm. vestments, uh, paraments. Mm-hmm. And and so by the end of it, we're in the dark with an empty. The chancel is that you know that yep, stage yep. area, mm-hmm. as it were. Yeah. Um, it ends up in the dark with an empty chancel, and then there's a loud report. And and for us, it's a symbol is banged, and that loud report 
symbolizes the death of Christ. So on Maundy Thursday, you go from his commandment to the moment of death, the then inner Good Friday. Okay. Well, now we've we've done a, uh, for a number of years, we've done a tenebrae service, but on Good Friday. So, but you do them both together. We do. And that, and so we kind of, frankly, do two Good Fridays. When you end Monday, mm. you could just do Monday, Thursday, Great Commandment, and Eucharist, but we had the tenebrae on that service. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. You know, every time, I always joke that I'm liturgically challenged because there, you know, there wasn't a, a, a the the seminary I attended and the tradition I'm a part of is is fairly what we would call low church, and so but we've we've slowly incorporated more elements of high church for the for the average listener out there we don't just mean like really cool and great or really really low low brow or something but what uh, explain just a little bit about the difference between high church and low church and because you're uh, a, a part of what people might not expect is that you're really more influenced by high church worship at at first plymouth well we are so by saying high church of course is uh, do you follow the church seasons and then there's a whole mm-hmm. set of prescribed readings and rituals and mm-hmm. sacraments that go along with the church yep. seasons mm-hmm. and we do tend to follow much of that at first Plymouth. And um, that's that's been a development over the decades. So, for example, First Plymouth is the first church in Lincoln. Mm-hmm. Um, it began as a congregational church. They would have been very low church, mm. um, uh, you know, in the 1860s and, and into the early 1900s. Yep. Um, then, as we grew up with Lincoln, uh, Lincoln, you know, 70% of all Christians in Lincoln are Roman Catholic or Lutheran, 70%. Yeah. Yep. Every yep. Um, and so since we're kind of a community church, we 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 just have a very large amount of folks that were previously Lutheran and Roman Catholic, yep. and over time, I think a greater sensitivity or resonance for that high mm-hmm. liturgy yep. it gets embedded in the congregation. Because, for example, we serve Eucharist after every single service, mm. every single Sunday after yeah. every single service. Yeah, yeah. Um, because we have so many Roman Catholic folks and, mm-hmm. and Lutheran folks. Um, yeah, and there yeah. was basically a liturgical renewal in the '60s and '70s, where a mm-hmm. lot of low church kind of worship actually brought in the ancient rituals again. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I think that's, and that's basically the trajectory of, uh, of my tradition. It was, it was more of a, uh, oh, it, you'd probably think of it as more of a Bible church kind of, a, of a, of a vibe, you know, years ago. And then, uh, but there's been a rediscovery, I think again, and a part of it is the desire to be anchored to the historic church. And, and uh, are you familiar with uh, Tish Warren and no. any of her books? Uh, she's an Anglican priest, and uh, and uh, she uh, wrote a little book that was a bestseller called Liturgy of the Ordinary. And she just explains how the uh, Episcopal, in this case, the Anglican liturgy, is shadowed in all the things we do in life. And it kind of reflects wow. what how life works. And do you know every female Episcopal priest is named Tish? Well, that, 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 that both of them? Or <laughs> does that, no, I, no, I, if I get it like this, two church geeks on early Saturday morning. We're uh-huh. doing like church and liturgy stuff yeah. here, huh? Well, you know, we're just two guys having fun oh, who okay. happen to be have, a, have a, the same job, sort of. <laughs> uh, you've got it in a big place. I've got it in a medium, a smallish place, but it's uh, a great but, church. But it's a similar, a similar kind of thing. Uh, but there's one of the things she captures in her books, and uh, she wrote a second book then that was called Prayers in the Night, and, uh, and it, was her, it was her discussion of suffering and pain mm-hmm. and how we deal with things. And and the whole tone of the book was that uh, when she 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 was in such pain due to a personal loss that she just she couldn't pray, and she just she couldn't think of the words. And so her and her husband, who is also an Anglican priest, they would just pray uh, compline together, and that's all they could do. 
And so she she based, makes that the outline for the book is this compline prayer. And and one of the things she says, and this is how it relates, is that she, when she didn't have the words, she wanted that anchor of words that God's people have been saying for centuries and to and to feel a part of that. And I and I, I wonder if this kind of rediscovery of liturgy, rediscovery of these things isn't a part of that we're, we're we're rootless, aimless. We want to know we're connected to something. Yeah, the rituals and the deep wisdom also acknowledge in profound ways the suffering aspect of life. Mm-hmm. And um, and I think we tried to deny how central suffering is. I mean, yeah. The great religions don't, that's for sure. And certainly Christianity yeah. um, helps you understand that. But mm-hmm. a recent philosopher has come out with a book called The Palliative Society. Um, he believes all we try to do now is anesthetize pain. We try to we medicalize pain completely mm-hmm. and try to eliminate it, but that in fact pain is the only great teacher. That mm. pain draws us into the depth of life, and anything that matters in your life will mm. include pain. Yeah, and and yet we try to banish it. Yeah, yeah. I want to let's take our first break, and then I want to come back. I want to un- unpack that a little bit because uh, I think there in our church we're discovering that a lot of churches are rediscovering that. And uh, we had some lament services. That is, it's a really new thing for us, but it's certainly not a new thing in the church. Uh, no, the, again, those ancient rituals have honored the core aspect of lament, yeah. suffering, yeah. Um, and never, never tragedy. In the church, it's never tragedy yeah. because there's God. Yes, but there is, there is a um, deep suffering. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's uh, let's pick up on that theme. It's a friendly fire Saturday. So glad to have uh, Jim Keck here from First Plymouth in studio again, and uh, I'm glad to have you along. Just freshen up the coffee. We're just getting started on the Voice of Lincoln, fourteen hundred and ninety-nine point three KLIN. Keeping the topics lively and the conversation civil. This is Friendly Fire with Stu Kurds on the Voice of Lincoln. 1499 3 KLIN. We are back. It's a Friendly Fire Saturday talking today with uh, Jim Keck. I mean, that is Reverend Dr. Uh, Jim Keck. <laughs> I want to make sure we get that uh, in there properly. Uh, before the break, we were talking about, again, these anchors of uh, in, a, in kind of a rootless age that we live in. We're looking for our roots. We want to know where we came from, who we belong to. Did you do the 23andMe? The, 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 the no. genealogy thing? The, no, the, no, you haven't not done at all. that? No. Is that an online thing? Oh, yeah. You sp- well, you have to Jeez, buy I'm the tube it. and you spit into oh. it, and then they tell you, like, your genetic makeup. You just spit on the computer? That's right. Well, not quite, <laughs> but, but in the tube. You would never guess that I am 3.4% Neanderthal. Oh, actually, I've heard, though, reference that a bunch of us are Neanderthals. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That... Well, I've got proof. Okay. Actually. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Beyond yeah. the hair on your back. That Well, actually, no, no. Neanderthals don't have hair on their back. Uh, see, stereotypes. I fell, I fall see? into stereotypes. Boy. Yeah. 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 Be, be I just, kind I, to you should caveman. cancel me. I just put down Neanderthals. Be kind to your local caveman. <laughs> uh, th- by the way, if somebody said, Jim, what, you know, so what is your, your ethnicity? Your, 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 who are your people? What would you say? So Keck. Keck is German, uh-huh. uh, but f- from our side, it's Pennsylvania Dutch mostly. Uh-huh. But Keck in in German used to mean uh, courage. They would say in Middle uh-huh. Germany, Middle Ages, go into war with Keck. But oddly uh-huh. enough, now in modern German language, it doesn't mean courage. It means cheeky. Oh. <laughs> and now even worse, you can look up Keck in an English dictionary. Yeah. yeah. It's an English word now. Have you ever heard it? I have not. Keck, if you look it up, means to retch or heave as if to throw up, 
Uh-oh. Or the sound a cat makes trying to expel a hairball. <laughs> That's a keck. <laughs> well, there you go. That's uh well, thanks for sharing. Yeah, you're, yeah, that, you're right. that, that's yeah. Uh, okay. We were talking about lament. No, how did I get to that? Well, we were talking about uh, lament and suffering, and and uh, w- one of the things in the life of the church again, we're we we're Americans. We want to uh, to somebody dies, we remember them. A week later, we're supposed to be moving on. And we just do that. And we don't, we don't, uh, we're not very good at grieving. And, and, and yet the scriptures uh, are, are just filled with lament. You know, this, I, I understand that like maybe half of the Psalms could be classified in some way as lament. Yeah. yeah. Why hast thou felt your first is that Is that an American problem? Is that, is that part of our thing that we just, we just don't want to think about sad things? Yeah, you know, maybe. So, uh, but let me first celebrate a little of that Americana. I mean, an yeah. emphasis on the positive and the way mm-hmm. we drive forward. Um, uh, what we, what we need to understand though, true heroism will always include that type of struggle and despair and such. So maybe we get too superficial with it, but no, I think you're right. Um, um, now the stereotype would be, it's the Europeans that, that do despair and existential (laughs) angst and, and that, um, uh, but I I think you're right on, You, you were talking about how, uh, before we went on air, but during COVID, people have a limited emotional bandwidth, or mm-hmm. um, that you know we're just we're raw and we're yeah. we're not. Um, well, I think much of what we're talking about is we all have to have within our emotional capacity a deep empathy, a sense of pain and struggle, lament. I mean, if you're going to have a full emotional intelligence, as it were. You, you have to be able to navigate all of that. So, yeah. so if the American sensibility might only be training us in in certain aspects of it, not all of it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I we I, part of it is again we. Uh, I'm I'm learning. I, I hate to say this, but I'm I'm almost sixty, and and you are almost. I'm fifty nine. Yeah. yeah. The uh, I'm learning that uh, to just if I'm sad, just to be sad, and not to try to rush through it. And there's something about this. We 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 well, we've got to get on the other side. And we've got to somehow get through this, but. Uh, but lament, and, and I appreciate if you could elaborate on this a little bit, the idea that that, that we lament doesn't mean that we just kind of stay in the ash heap and that we are that we remain joyless, right? Uh, oh, absolutely not. How yeah. how do we push? What's the end point of lament, and, and what are we? How, how well, does it serve us? Well, the end point of lament is always going to either be reconciliation or a, a reclaiming of hope. Um, or a, a greater wholeness. I mean, mm-hmm. no biblical lament is about simply residing <laughs> in lament yeah. forever. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but those ancient rituals, um, uh, you know, even in Holy Week, we'll move through that, but we don't stay, we don't stay in the lament yeah. and the despair, mm-hmm. right? Yes, Because yes. there is resurrection. That's right. Um, and so, no, it's, it's uh, yeah. There, there's a danger... Um, in the modern sensibility. Now, Americans emphasize the positive, but we're also now doing a lot of being cynical or ironical. Like, we're only living mm-hmm. life ironically mm-hmm. with a sense of being once removed from it and an observer, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, that, and we get jaded or cynical. I think lament draws you into an authenticity and honesty. Mm-hmm. You don't stand aside and be ironic about your pain. You yeah. experience it. Yes, yes. I I like that because I think there's uh, there's a huge 
there's so much for us to learn through this because we, let's face it, we, uh, um, you, you and I are both optimists, right? Absolutely. I mean, we're, we're optimists and we're wired that way. And, and, a, and that's a wonderful thing. But a, part of the downside of that is, is, is I think I've learned in myself is my unwillingness to just sit in the pain for a while and instead of wishing it away and thinking that that pain isn't a part of actually what God is doing in me. Yeah. Um, Stu, you're growing up. Oh, man. And just about the time that I, that I get some things figured out, uh, the game will be over, yes. you know, and then we'll get to, Life the, is short. We'll get to what's next. Yeah. yeah. Thanks be to God. And speaking of what's next, uh, resurrection. Uh, I was at a, a study at your, your place a few years ago, and we were talking about resurrection. And, and some people in the, in the Christian world think of resurrection as a, a spiritual ongoing of Christ and so forth. And um, but but I affirm the bodily resurrection of Christ and one day our own bodily resurrection like his. Uh, what difference does it make? Hmm. <laughs> so you're asking a, a kind of liberal-minded theologian uh, whether anything makes a pivotal difference or not. Um, and mm-hmm. I'm not sure you could get me to say um, that that this issue would be ultimately decisive for one's salvation. I think you can have mm-hmm. a lot of of, of uh, you can have a spectrum of theology around the Christ, mm-hmm. um, and and still be authentically moving into God's arms. As far as I'm concerned, um, I hear you. So so I wouldn't want to say it's decisive. We've shared before that um, because of my own experience of Christ, um, I believe in a bodily resurrection because I've experienced him as alive. Mm. Um, and so that, that speaks a deep personal truth to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I also believe in the bodily resurrection just because of the gospel accounts. Um, you wouldn't put a story about an empty tomb that's so easily falsifiable. people go out to that tomb and look and see (laughs) i mean you could prove it wrong so i think there really was an empty tomb Mm -hmm. um but 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 i believe there could be lots of approaches for example what's been on my mind this week um is census uh, census divinitas Uh, okay now you're getting you're going all latin on us here i'm going latin but i'm going into your calvin so uh, john calvin was the first to use that latin phrase census Mm -hmm. divinitas Mm -hmm. um to refer to um, that a human being has a native sense of God, mm. um, that, that we have innate knowledge of the divine, mm-hmm. um, sensus divinitas. Um, what, it, it, what gets the problem with theology, it assumes too often that it's about, do you have the right thoughts about God? Do you have mm. the right systematic, rational understanding? Yes. But sensus divinitas is about this, you just know in your gut there is God. Mm. And, and for me... Um, when I go through, say, Holy Week, mm-hmm. uh, yes, I'm hearing all the specifics, and the resurrection is a very specific claim, isn't mm-hmm, it? Mm-hmm. But it's activating the census divinitas in me. Mm. It's not so much I'm lingering mentally on the ideas of resurrection. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's animating census divinitas. There is a God. I saw, this is fascinating. If mm-hmm. you ask Americans, do you believe in God? Mm-hmm. of Americans will say they believe in God. Mm -hmm. I think that's census divinitas. They Mm -hmm. just know in their gut there is God. However, if you add one word, if you say, are you convinced that there is God? Mm. Then they go to their head and the number drops to 64% of Americans are convinced. So I I don't just trust thoughts. I think feelings matter. And, Mm -hmm. and, and so like around the resurrection, I'm full of these feelings. It, 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 feels like it's of God to me. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. 
the uh, I, well, I think as a Presbyterian, we we live in the intellectual world, and everything is is uh, we want to we want to know facts about God. We want to know facts about Jesus. We want to do, and so we I we we read a book written by a PCA uh, pastor, but. It's he right up front says we're not going to talk about the doctrine of Christ. We're going to talk about the heart of Christ, and it's twenty three chapters just unpacking from the Bible what Jesus says about his heart. Oh, and uh, it's it's one of the sweetest books I've read in a really long time. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, I, yeah, I feel the tension every time I'm preaching because I'm I'm using words and I'm looking out at the congregation and I know I'm putting them in their heads a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, for me, again, that census divinitas, that, that mm-hmm. just that intuition mm-hmm. of God, that, that intimation, you know there is God. Yeah. That's what I want to connect them to. And sometimes I actually think I lead them into the realm of just ideas. Mm-hmm. And then I leave the church that day thinking, I just, I just took them into the abstract. I want them to feel God. Yeah, yeah. Well, I... Uh, I, I think you might actually enjoy this book. It's called Gentle and Lowly. Uh, there's only one place in the scriptures where Jesus actually describes his heart. And in Matthew eleven twenty nine, he says, uh, my, my heart is gentle and lowly. I'm gentle and lowly of heart. And uh, my, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Mm. Uh, and so there is no other place where Jesus actually uses that language except in Matthew wow. 11. And... Uh, so he takes that and spins that out with the help of Scripture and the help of some of the Puritans who, believe it or not, wrote a lot about this. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And so uh, it's, a, it's, just, it's, a, uh, it's a wonderfully different, and uh, I, I, I described it to my congregation as a big gospel blanket I didn't know I needed. Oh, that's nice. And, uh, and uh, so we've got to take another break here. When we come back, uh, we're going to get super practical because you've been doing something kind of exciting down there at 20th and D. 20th and D, right? 20th and D. All right. The uh, And I want the listeners, if they aren't aware of it, maybe they are, but I want them to know about that. Sound good? You bet. Let's do it. Here with Jim Keck on uh, The Voice of Lincoln, 1499.3 KLIN. Interesting topics to kick off your weekend. Looking at the news with an eye of faith. Friendly Fire with Stu Kearns, 1499.3 KLIN. We are back. It's Friendly Fire Saturday, talking with uh, Jim Keck here. He's the senior pastor down there at First Plymouth. Uh, I mentioned 20th and D. And in your neighborhood, I've noticed through, I, I usually notice what you do through Facebook. I know you do other kinds of social media and there's a website and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, but I noticed uh, through Facebook this initiative about on, on medical debt and in particular medical debt with people in the neighborhood. Just uh, first of all, how did this, how did this get started? And then tell me some, some stories. Of- oh yeah. Thanks for asking about that. Yeah. Uh, this thing has gained an incredible traction. I mean, just to say what it is simply, we decided we wanted to retire as much medical debt in the neighborhoods around the church as we could. Mm-hmm. People, you know, they'll have like $3,000 of medical debt. They're paying 50 bucks a month. They never get ahead of it. We mm-hmm. thought, okay, how could we go about buying up that debt and then forgiving it? Mm-hmm. And so we, we but uh, <laughs> let, me, let me tell you how it began. So I was, I was trying to uh, recruit a minister to come to First Plymouth to move us into new iterations of justice work. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of times when you say social justice now, now it's politicized and it's all about some agenda and just like virtue signaling and, and parading around at protests. But I, but I was talking about the type of 
relationship-based justice in local communities where you get mm-hmm. to know people, come alongside them and, and mm-hmm. such. And I recruited a, a Methodist minister from Puerto Rico uh, to come to First Plymouth to help us look into that. Yeah. So when he arrived about a year ago, I said, I think medical debt's a big issue. I just kind of gave him this blanket idea. I said, we should look at forgiving medical debt. Go do some research for us. And he just started looking around. So there are these nonprofits that buy up massive amounts of medical debt that you mm-hmm. can purchase at a super low, like 20 cents on the dollar. You can buy from these nonprofits medical debt they've bought. Mm. But you, but it's all around the country, and there's none in Lincoln, Nebraska, that they own. Mm. So, and and we we started having on our hearts. We wanted to help the neighborhoods right here in Central Lincoln, mm-hmm. our neighbors. Yeah. Um, and so, how do we do that? And so he he just did this massive research project, and then it came down to the fact that only a couple debt collectors own the vast majority of debt in Central Lincoln. Mm. Um, and then we got in conversation with them. One decided, wow, this is an incredible idea. A church that wants to buy up this debt for people. They got in conversation with us. They decided what donation they would kick back on it to make it a, a, a lower rate. Um, mm-hmm. and, and then this is how it works, too. Uh, every collection we take at every service for this entire year is going completely to medical debt, not mm. the church. Every single collection, and even digitally, if they text money in, it goes right to medical debt. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no administrator fee. If you give 10 bucks, exactly 10 bucks is going to someone's bill in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. We then get together as a, as a group at the church, a committee. Uh, the, the debt collector gives us anonymized profiles. So we don't know because of HIPAA and legal stuff. Yeah. We don't know their name. We know it's like a single mom with $3,000 of debt paying $50 a month. Mm. And we're only buying up debt that people are paying on monthly, something Mm. that they're trying to pay on, not that they're in default on. They're trying to pay on this bill. We sit there and we take whatever we collected that week and then we start just buying off that. So each week we'll buy off, gosh, uh, last week we bought off about $60,000 worth of debt. We're already over $100,000 in the first weeks of this. It's going mm. all year long. Mm. We have bought up the debt of 45 households at this mm. point right in the neighborhood. Yeah. Um, we, we send the money to the debt collector. They then send a letter to the person saying, your debt was bought up by First Plymouth and forgiven. Mm. We don't require they contact us. We never contact anyone. Mm. It's up to them if they want to call us. Mm-hmm. They've been calling us. <laughs> one 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 gal got on the phone with me, an uh, elderly woman that had been paying on this thing for years, and she was in tears. And she goes, mm. I don't even know what to say, so I'm just going to say thank you, Jesus. Mm. Um, and a, a guy this week uh, sent in a letter uh, saying that you know he was paying this 50 bucks a month and assumed he'd have this bill the rest of his life, wow. that he would never make the money to get ahead of it. Mm. Um and so, again, we're not requiring any connection to us. It's just that they want to contact us. Well, this thing uh, is just last week, just me walking around during the worship services, mm-hmm. three people handed me $10,000. Mm. <laughs> because there's something so visceral about if I give a big, this is going right to someone's bill. There's no, it's not supporting any organization. Yeah, It's literally... It's literally person to person. We're just that momentary broker before it goes right to that person's bill. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that wild? It's fun, isn't it? It's it's wildly fun. And, you know, good things should be fun. Everyone's got a smile on their face. Mm-hmm. I, um, 
I, I can't believe it. There was an article in the paper, and I think just off that article alone, like something like fifty thousand dollars came in. It goes something. directly to the bill. Yeah, you know, I mean, you you guys, you know, you have a large operation, and you do a, just a wide variety of things. But this has to be on the short list of of one of the most rewarding things you've you've probably been a part of, well, isn't th- it? Thanks for saying rewarding, because it, uh, you know, uh, a good thing helps everyone. So they're getting help mm-hmm. with their bill. But people that that make a gift of this, I can see the the good it's doing for them. Mm-hmm. I just helped a neighbor. Mm-hmm. You know, this isn't some theory or abstract thing. I just paid off a person's bill in this neighborhood. Yeah. Um, it's, it's been incredible. Now it's also to tell you the truth, Stu, you know, if we, if we want to get political, it's raising our medical system has some odd aspects to it and that, mm-hmm. that are harmful to human beings. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, you know, why and how exactly someone in America gets into medical debt. And that's like mm-hmm. the biggest cause of bankruptcy in America. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't know what your stance is on universal health care or where you think we should go on this, but this initiative's raising all these questions, and I and I don't have any answers. Yeah. But it's raised now. We're we're the hospitals in town own massive amounts of debt, yeah. but they can forgive that for tax purposes, and they forgive a lot. Yeah. Um, we're buying up the debt of local, like it's someone that paid three thousand bucks for a colonoscopy or or mm-hmm. two thousand bucks for medical testing radiology yeah. or it's it's this or urgent care bills yeah. it's uh that's the aspect we're going at and i got to tell you the doctors of those groups they hate that the the people get in debt on this stuff and they forgive a lot on their own too by the yeah, way yeah. the doctors in this town care yeah no absolutely um, and and doctors in this town have been coming up to me going i'm just loving what you're doing if yeah. this thing this thing bothers me every single day yeah. and and again so there's a lot of hidden stories i don't want i don't want people to think yeah. first plymouth is the only place forgiving debt i know local doctor groups that forgive substantial yeah. amount of yeah yeah what's absolutely well it's interesting i you know for me i'm i'm becoming more uh, less partisan and just more practical in a lot of these things. And, and when it, and I, I felt like when Obamacare came came out, that if uh, that it would have been helpful if the president would have just said, you know, actually this is probably going to cost you a little bit more, but uh, but we're we're a compassionate people and we love our neighbor and this is the way that we're going to love our neighbors. That, yep, everybody's going to pay a little bit more, but you know what? We're going to cover everybody. And and if and if he'd have said that then I think there would have been a lot of Christians out there who had a hard time saying, oh, no, I don't want to love my neighbor. It's like, oh, well, okay. I mean, I yeah, I'd pay a little bit more for that. But when you kind of get the story of, oh, everybody's going to save money and it's going to be, be- it's better for everybody, and then which anybody political with common sense kind of knew that that was not true, then it's just another political lie. But uh, So I'm a, big, I'm a big proponent of the truth. Just, just tell it to us straight. And give us a chance, and and I do think we have a big heart. You're seeing it, right? Oh boy! It, I mean, think of that. Uh, you know, these are tough times. People have a lot of economic anxiety with inflation underway, yeah. and yet to see them, I mean, what an image this is. Someone, and and particularly down. I was naming some big gifts, but what about we get a lot of a hundred dollar bills on mm-hmm. this thing? Yep. Um, well, a hundred dollars to someone that's just a lower middle income, hundred bucks means something. Yeah. And the fact they're just handing that to a neighbor. Yeah. I mean, it's just human beings will do that. Yeah. yeah. Um, that little uh, spark of divinity there. Uh, uh, Calvin also called that common grace. Uh, uh, Calvin had a lot to say that uh, nobody pays much attention to 
But uh, we're going to take, by the way, okay, we're one more break. Then we're going to come back. We're going to do a little shameless plug, and who knows where the winds will take us. Uh, it's a Friendly Fire Saturday here talking with Jim Keck here, Senior Pastor at First Plymouth. And uh, good to have you along. Be right back here on 1499.3 KLIN. Bringing you local voices to break down the news of the week. Friendly Fire with Stu Kurds on the voice of Lincoln, 1499.3 KLIN. We are back. It's Friendly Fire Saturday talking with uh, Senior Pastor Jim Keck here from First Plymouth. And Jim, it's the time of the program where we do a shameless plug. I'm going to do a plug, and then I'm going to let you do a plug. And uh, and the plug that I have this week... Um, other than the fact that, you know, okay, Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday, and you need to get, uh, there are a lot of churches available in this town to do. So that's a, that's a minor plug. The the major plug for me this week, I, uh, Tom Barber at the Mission has embarked on a project to send, uh, he'd like to send two truckloads full of diapers uh, to Ukraine and to the, the Polish border there. And uh, and they, they, they say they can get it. He's got a way to get it there in a week. And so he's asking, so if, you, if you're interested in being a part of that, you can drop it off at the Mission or at their uh, center there uh, near uh, 70th and O. And, uh, and they're going to they're gonna load up, uh, hopefully, a truck or two uh, semis were just filled with diapers, and they're going to get them uh, to refugees uh, on the Polish-Ukraine uh, uh, border. And uh, so ever, I bet we've all could reach into the wallet and, and uh, get a couple of uh, bags of diapers so that's my plug boy prayers for the people of ukraine yeah yeah oh my gosh well i have a shameless plug go for um, it but i want it to be for all the churches in lincoln you know we have over 300 churches in mm -hmm. lincoln and covid's been pretty rough on american churches i mean what we do is gather we gather together mm -hmm. to worship and be community and that's exactly what this virus attacked all across america right now um, uh, there's still about 30% of people that aren't attending that, that had previously, um, churches are tacking right along with movie theaters and that, that hurts my heart. I mean, restaurants are at a higher rate of return. Sports are at a higher rate of return, but right now both movie theaters and churches are about exactly the same around 65% of what they were pre COVID. Mm. Um, so my shameless plug is folks, I know you have to navigate your risk. Um, in terms of uh, if you're vulnerable to the virus in particular ways, and I respect that, and, and, and God bless you. But when there comes any kind of moment you can get back to church, community needs this. We need to yeah. worship God together, strengthen our ties that bind. It matters. Yeah, it really does matter. We, uh, we've instituted some uh, Wednesday night activities again, and one of those is just a little, a little uh, wine and cheese before we have a Bible study. And uh, and at first I thought I don't know anybody want to do this. Yes, they do. They want to sit and talk and fellowship. And then of course I was like after 15 minutes I was ready to like shuffle them off into the study. And all of a sudden I realized what am I doing? They they haven't been together. They want to be together. They want to just okay let, yeah let's let's have a solid half hour of just shooting the breeze. And and having some some snacks and beverages together. Good insight, Pastor. You oh, saw what you. really mattered was taking place. <laughs> oh, well, we don't always do that, do we? Mm. Yeah. So, what are what are some of the some of the things that uh, I mean, COVID affected everyone, and if, and I know uh, again, your church just has such a wide variety of activities. What were the ways that it really impacted you the the most severely, and then what have been the first things to come back robustly? Yeah. Well, you know, so. Uh, 
you know, an American churchgoer loves their church. And so the finances weren't hurt during COVID, frankly. Mm-hmm. People's emotional connection and the mm-hmm. give, and they knew churches needed that. Um, but obviously, you know, there was there was some months we weren't even worshiping, so attendance went down to zero. But even when we started, and we started again pretty early, that August of that su- same first summer. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but th- the numbers have been very low compared to pre-COVID. Now we're still only at about 65 70% yeah. of, of pre-COVID. Um, but we obviously immediately went digital big time. So yeah. even now we provide a digital service, which is just which is just speaking to the camera. It's it's produced purely for a digital video, mm-hmm. a digi- and then we do live streams of services, which are the cameras peering in on a worship, mm-hmm. so you can take part. Um, and so we provide a lot of that. But but again, I want to appeal to people. Um, yes, join your church online and participate and feel connected. But there's nothing like getting there physically and 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 being there at church together and being community i yeah um there it's funny there's some consultants around the country that say don't provide everything in the digital or online things make make people miss something like some churches have been trying like not providing any music on the yeah. <laughs> on the online and I, i'm not going to do anything like that but i get yeah. i get the impulse behind it is yeah. um uh, try to get people coming back to church yeah. i i you know I think in a lot of basic ways, church matters. I know I'm a minister, so wow, you're surprised mm-hmm. I just said church matters. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, it's in church that a, a lot of sociologists believe that's how we create our democracy. We learn how to have different ideas and have serious discussions mm-hmm. and have civil discourse. Yeah. Um, and I believe that it, um, churches are the moral conscience of a community. It, it, it pulls you to the highest of ethical values. Mm-hmm. And then and then lastly and most importantly, I don't think if 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 one does not have a sense of God, that census divinitas mm-hmm. I was talking about, mm-hmm. um, you can fall into a type of uh, moral despair. What matters? Why does life really matter? What's mm-hmm. it matter what I do in life? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That was we were talking uh, before we went on air about uh uh, Bonhoeffer and uh, doing some Bonhoeffer teaching and everybody thinks of the cost of discipleship. I actually usually first think of life together. And uh, uh, and again, it's a very short little treatise, but about just the whole idea of community and how we need one another. And uh, and uh, that I, I go back to that regularly because he's just so insightful. Oh, golly, so much so. Although it kind of cracks me up. There's some dated aspects of life together. Like he doesn't believe in any harmony in the singing. Do you guys allow harmony? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, music has always divided the church. You it know, has divided the church. There, there, are, there are Presbyterians who only sing psalms and 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 don't use instruments and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, well, I don't know. Didn't Paul say sing a new, you know, songs, hymns, and spiritual songs? But uh, so I, I, I love the psalms. They're beautiful. But I think, and let's let's face it, of the new songs. Very few of them are going to be around 100 years from now, right? I think you're probably right. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, thanks for mentioning Bonhoeffer. We've had him as our theme for the whole Lent, our faith mm. exemplar. I mean, this mm. Lutheran pastor that got involved in resisting the rise of Hitlerism mm-hmm. and then being executed, arrested by the yeah. Gestapo yeah. and then executed for his resistance against mm-hmm. the evil of his day. Yeah. Um, and we've been using that that theme. And he... Uh, you know, from his letters from prison, he had some pretty, he saw the church sell out to power, mm-hmm. to, to strength and to success. Yeah. And so he's got, he has a radical call for the church to yeah. be church. That yeah. means 
to follow Christ. Yes. That he said, because he thinks human religion will tend towards strength and power. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so he, he's a radical voice to, if you want to be church, follow Christ. There's nothing there. Mm-hmm. You can't sell out to just being a success in the world. Yes. Follow Christ. Yes. Yes. And so much of his, again, uh, the whole idea of resistance. I mean, he was a pacifist, but he, but he realized that these were, Unique times, he right? Felt, yeah, so he, he, he was involved in the assassination plot of Hitler. Yeah. Now, he never thought it was the right thing to do. He felt he had to do it. Yeah. So he yeah. remained a pacifist in the spiritual sense. Mm-hmm. So what he was willing to do was to take the guilt upon himself. Mm-hmm. And frankly, personalize that. Anyone that has served in the military, they don't want to kill somebody. Yeah. Um, they know that they're going to have to do something that no one would want to do. Um, but they think, you know, again, to defend our country or something that has to be yeah, done. Yeah. Um, so I, I want to lionize him, but the fact is everyone that served in our military and combat had to go through some similar reflections. Absolutely. This is what I have to do. Absolutely. And we're all collectively with the Ukraine situation kind of asking those questions again. How do we stand up against evil? Uh, how, do we, uh, how do we support those who are suffering from evil? And uh, and the the in a nuclear age, the answers don't get any easier. They don't get easy. And as a pastor, I don't want to uh, deride anyone, but but Putin. Putin seems to be a manifestation of evil, and I don't. Again, I yeah. I don't. Uh, uh, You'll get an amen from this okay, side of the radio okay. station. Um, yeah, and and I think there are powers at loose in the world, and I think China and Russia are are not the people, not the people of China yeah, and yeah, Russia. Yeah. But the, the governments, the leaders, yeah, we, yeah. we're going to have to find ways to resist. Yeah. Thank you so much for taking time to be in here today, Jim. I sure do appreciate it. Good to be here. Yeah. Good to see you, man. Well, let's do it again and let's celebrate that Easter. It's right around the corner. And I leave you saying, as I always do, to think about it and talk about it. We'll see you next week.